Welcome to episode 285 of Live Happy Now. This is Paula Phelps, and this week we're talking about something that all of us have experienced, but many of us have difficulty talking about. Grief is a tough subject, and it can be even more difficult when trying to manage it with children. After the sudden death of her husband, Ashley Buggy found herself not only raising two toddlers and planning for the birth of her third child, but also trying to help them live in a world that had suddenly been consumed by grief. Unable to find books that spoke to children about grief in real terms, together she and her children wrote a remarkable book titled Ahui Ho, Until We Meet Again. This week, Ashley's here to discuss how to talk to children about grief and loss to help them understand their feelings and live a happier life. Ashley, welcome to Live Happy Now. Hey, thanks, Paula. Thanks for having me. We wanted to talk to you today because you've got a couple of books that you've published, and specifically, we wanted to talk to you about your children's book, which I'm going to have you say the name because you say it so much better than I do. (laughs) I know. I've heard every pronunciation of it. It's called A Hui Ho, Until We Meet Again, and it's a Hawaiian greeting. It's a children's book based basically in Hawaii where we were living, and in Hawaii, you don't say goodbye. You say A Hui Ho, Until We Meet Again. And just even that sentiment right there that you don't say goodbye, you say until we meet again, that's really powerful and sets the tone for this whole book. This book was inspired by the death of your husband. And can you give us a little bit of that story and then how the book came out of it? Yeah. So in 2018, my husband was an officer in the U.S. Navy and we were living on Oahu, stationed on Oahu on military orders. We had a one and a three-year-old at home, and I was six months pregnant with our third child. And my husband and I were both avid scuba divers, sailors, explorers, and he was in a scuba diving class. And on a Sunday morning with the kids and I at home, sitting on the couch, my phone rang and a very long, sad story made short. I got a call that he was in a scuba diving accident. And I found out shortly after that, that he did not make it. He died in these Hawaiian waters that we had grown to love as a family and celebrated many milestones and accomplishments and memories made as a family, a young family living in Hawaii in our dream destination. And so with a one and a three-year-old by my side and six months pregnant with our third child, I became a widow and the kids lost their dad. And obviously I was not expecting that or prepared for that. It was never anything, you know, maybe in my wildest dreams, we had thought about it and talked about it. And what happens if something is to happen to us on one of these expeditions that we're off on, but certainly never, you know, a realistic thought that that could actually happen to us. And suddenly it was our reality. And so, yeah, there was a lot of uncertainty, a lot of questions that needed to be answered immediately that I didn't have the answers or the willpower or the strength or the confidence to deal with both of my children, of myself, of medical professionals, you know, as pregnant, family, friends, everyone needing to know the answers to all these things. And I didn't have the answers. And you know, over the course of the next year, really, we moved off the island. The kids and I moved off the island. I gave birth to our daughter alone. And throughout that whole situation, my biggest fear was how do I raise kids who are grieving when I'm in such a state of grief myself? Mm -hmm. How do I manage their grief? How do I manage 
their sadness when I can't stop crying myself. I am so just in this pit of depression and anxiety and they've got questions and they need help. And how do I do this by myself? I don't know what I'm doing. And that's kind of a long story to now say, I turned to books really to try to help me manage this and to look for things that I could show them that depicted other kids who had gone through something like this. And I couldn't find anything. There was absolutely nothing out there showing kids using terms like death, dying, passed away, funeral. There was nothing out there. There was books written by parents and psychologists talking about, you know, afterlife and these like really gentle terms, fuzzy animals who had lost parents and, a you know, lions who aren't going to see their dad anymore, things like that. But nothing of a kid that looked like my kids saying, I am really sad. My dad died and I don't know how to manage my sadness. And so I said, you know, this is how we as a family deal with things. We talk about them in very real terms. We talk about what's going on and we figure out how to get through it together. And so it soon became, all right, there's nothing out there for you guys. We're going to make it out there. <laughs> We're going to write this uh-huh. book. We're going to share your story. We're going to make it so that we now have not only a tool for other kids who are going to go through this, but also a resource and a way for us to channel our grief and our sadness into something worthwhile. And yeah, it's turned into a hooey ho. And now it's a published book out there for (laughs) my kids and for other kids out there. And what's remarkable about it is it really is told through the children's eyes. Yeah. And it's interactive, even though it's a book, because you ask questions, you know, the on each page, there's, you see your experience, and then it's asking the child their experience. Yeah. Which I thought was really insightful. How did you actually go about writing the book with your children? How did you put together the format and what needed to go into that? Yeah, I really kind of just collected these really sad (laughs) conversations that I'd had with them over the course of the year. And, you know, I'd never been a writer, but as soon as my husband passed away, it was really the only thing that I could do to channel some of this was to just start writing. And I started blogging about everything I was going through, all of these just really hard, depressing, sad, sad moments and the victories too. And in that blog, I captured some of the conversations I was having with the kids and the back and forth and the confusion and things like my three-year-old daughter saying, mom, I know we had to leave Hawaii, but can we FaceTime data in the ocean? Or mom, I know data passed away, but when we go back to Hawaii, can he meet us at the Brown house? Or, you know, mom, I know Dada's diving forever, but I'm scared he's going to get eaten by a shark. And so it was really these moments of listening and watching them try to make sense of the words. They knew the words. They knew that Dada was gone, but forever is such a foreign concept, even to Mm -hmm. me as an adult, but especially to a young child. They know that word, but trying to wrap their head around the actuality of it. So I really just kind of gathered these conversations that I'd been having with them and referenced the blog that I had been writing to get the actual words that they said. And then when it came time to actually put words on paper, I interviewed them again. I included my now two-year-old daughter in the conversation too. And, you know, asked them questions now of how did you feel when, how do you feel now? You know, what were the scary moments? What do you remember from that? And used then and now to form this book. 
And you also wrote a memoir that came out about a month before this book. Mm -hmm. And so how do those two books kind of work together? Yeah, they're both just really honest, real, transparent, authentic accounts of grief and sadness, but also of celebration and remembrance. Like without getting too nostalgic, the memoir, it's called Always Coming Back Home. It's basically mine and my late husband's love story. Start to finish, I talk about us coming together living this unusual lifestyle of travel and exploration and adventure and bringing children into that mix, traveling the world with our young kids, sailing across oceans with them, military deployments, our just kind of unconventional marriage and family unit. And then it all kind of leads up to this grand adventure Brian was on when he dies. And it's a really happy story just with a really sad ending. Mm -hmm. And a hooey ho is kind of a really sad story with somewhat of a happy ending. You know, it's working through children's grief, but in the end, it's also recognizing that we're really sad, that we're never not going to be sad that dad is not here, but we have the ability to channel that sadness into something. And we're going to keep sharing stories. We're going to keep talking about him. We're going to do everything we can to let the world know how incredible he was and how incredible we are as a family for these things that we're doing. So they kind of work hand in hand. They're really both, you know, dedicated to my late husband, but really about celebrating as a family and what families can do to work through sadness and grief and how to make something from such a sad situation. And there's always been a time and a need for this, but right now, especially in this time of COVID, families are dealing with tremendous losses. And so that's what strikes me too is, is again, this book is universal for to appeal at any time, but particularly right now. So based on your experiences with helping children cope with loss, how do parents even begin talking to children that are trying to process the loss of a parent, a grandparent, even, you know, a friend, something like that? Yeah, I think the biggest learning curve for me was, you know, as parents or as caretakers, we want to protect our kids so much. We just want to wrap them in a bubble, squeeze them tight and not let them feel or hear or experience any sadness. I think that's just intrinsically in us. But that's not the reality. The reality is is that they're hearing these words, they're seeing it, they're experiencing it through their own lens. And if we try to shield them from that that they're already experiencing, I think it can come out as very confusing and a little scarier because they know that we're trying to hide things from them. And, you know, I can speak from my own experience. The first few months, I didn't want my kids to see me cry. I went so out of the way of trying to hide my tears and my sadness. And a few months in, my daughter came to me and I I could tell she'd been crying. I said, what's the matter? And she said, no, nothing, mom, I'm okay. And I said, Izzy, what's the matter? You know, she's four years old now. She said, mom, I'm not going to cry in front of you. It's okay. I'm strong like you. And I was like, oh, Izzy, no, 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 no. And you're sad. (laughs) You cry. I'm your mom. I take care of you. And she goes, no, mom, I'm not going to cry. I'm really brave. I promise. It was just like, oh, you know, dagger to the heart. Like, (laughs) right. she was watching me though. And the reality is, is as much as I was trying to shield her and protect her from having to witness me be sad, it was putting this burden on her to make her feel like she couldn't do that in front of me. And so 
I think the way, you know, every family has to do what's right for them and their situation. But I think just having as open of conversation as you can with kids and letting them know that it's okay to be scared and it's okay to be confused. These are really confusing times for all of us. Mm -hmm. And I make sure my kids know, like, I don't have all the answers and this is scary. And I don't know when things are going to be back to quote unquote normal, but the reality is, is that it's happening whether we want it to or not, it's happening around us. So let's focus on what we can control and let's focus on the things that we want to do together as a family that are within our realm of doing. And so I think just having these honest conversations with your kids, you know, depending on their age and their awareness level and recognizing that they're witnessing and they're experiencing everything around us just like we are. And, and we get to just dictate and decide how their experience goes through this. Mm-hmm. And how do you start such honest conversations? Because as you notice, a lot of times as adults, we don't do that with children. It's our yeah. <laughs> to protect them. So how do you go about having those kind of honest conversations on such difficult topics? I think depending on what the situation is. So, you know, when, when I see that my kids are sad or I see that they're nervous or upset about something, you know, I call them out on it right away. I don't let them fester. I don't let them hide. I don't let them like push it under the rug and tell me nothing's wrong. We as parents, we know that there's something going on. And so I'll pull them aside and have, you know, a one-on-one conversation where I feel and I try to give them the space that they feel safe expressing whatever's going on. And I, you know, typically we kind of know what the deal is. We just want them to say it. So if they're not comfortable, I'll ask them out for, you know, are you sad? Why are you sad? And usually for my kids, at least it comes back to, well, I miss data or I saw a picture of data you know, and it made me miss him or, you know, I miss Hawaii or I miss grandma or grandpa or whoever, you know, was on their mind right then. And once it comes out, then it's, well, how do, you know, as parents, how do we fix this for them? And it's not about fixing it, but it's about making them feel safe that they were able to come to us with whatever was on their mind and that we're not just like brushing it off. So, you know, if they're sad about missing data, then I offer to watch home videos or look at pictures or read a hooey ho or, you know, do something one-on-one with them to make sure they know that I have their back and they have my one-on-one attention. But those are really hard conversations. And I don't think there's any right way to do it. You know, people ask me these questions and I'm not an expert by any means. (laughs) I'm just somebody who has gone through it and I'm witnessing what's working for me and my family. And I feel like, you know, hopefully because it's working for my family, you know, I can impart some of that on other families because I know it's scary and I know it's hard. And and none of us as parents know what we're doing really. We're all <laughs> until we're done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, even our parents, you know, as grownups are like, Oh, how do I talk to my kid about this? We're not through. We haven't made it through it yet. This is a lifelong thing. Grief is a lifelong thing that you're constantly revisiting and finding new ways to get through it. And I think just being really vulnerable with yourself and your family members and asking for help when you need it and recognizing when you need somebody else's strength in the moment, regardless of where you're at, is kind of my biggest takeaway from all of this. And how does it help you process your grief when you're helping your children process theirs? I mean, it forces me to be present and to not just distract myself because I recognize that a lot of the past two and a half years 
my way of getting through this has definitely met it head on and, you know, found constructive ways to work through it, but also just inundating myself with projects and books and podcasts and a documentary and all of these things, they've served as distractions. And so when my kids come to me and say things like, you know, mama, I hope you don't die like dad, like that is a freight train over you that just stops everything. It does forces you to be in that moment and recognize, Oh, you're hurting. That in turn makes me hurt because it brings me back to we're missing a part of our family. And we lost him in a very big and tragic and public way. And it just brings me right back to it. And it makes me want to embrace my kids that much tighter and really recognize like nothing else matters except for us as a family and what we're doing and how we are making memories and creating this life together. And I think working through grief in that way is really been beneficial and helpful and constructive for us. Just recognizing, you know, we're sad, but we can still create these beautiful, incredible memories together as a family, recognize this really unfortunate thing happened to us, but that doesn't define our entire lives from here on out. And you're very specific about the importance of making new memories. Yeah. So can you explain, like when families are going through a difficult time, that's really the last thing that they want to do. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so why is it so important? Two-part question. Why is it so important? And how do you move ahead and take those steps to start making new memories without that loved one? It's really hard. I mean, honestly, the first probably year the guilt when you're in the state of grief, the guilt is overwhelming. You don't want to smile. You don't want to laugh. You don't want to admit that there can be any joy because if you do, then that means maybe you weren't really that sad. And if you're not really that sad, you know, did you really love this person that much? And that sounds so irrational, but grief is just so consuming and overwhelming and it doesn't make any sense when you're going through it. And so I think to try to separate yourself from not from the sadness, but separate yourself from this feeling of being a victim and instead try to say, you know what, this really sad thing happened to me, but I can make the decision to either live in that sadness forever and let that event take over my life. And now, you know, the tragedy consumed not only my partner or my husband or my spouse, but also me and also my family. And it brought us down. Or I can say this really sad event happened to me and it's tragic and it's going to be a part of me forever, but I don't want it to consume my life and have that be the end of me. And that means that I need to come to this intersection and say, okay, I'm going to fight or flight and I'm choosing to fight. I'm choosing to push my way through and have that part of me stay that part of me, but realize there's so much more out there as well. And so for us as a family that's the course that we took. And it's not always easy, but we certainly are trying to make our way through it. And, you know, the biggest, I would say the biggest event, and this obviously isn't going to be, I don't know, a part for everybody or capable for everybody, but travel had been a part of our family since before we even had kids. Brian and I traveled the world as individuals and together. And so when he passed away and the dust settled and I had my third baby and you know, the books had kind of come to life. I realized, you know, I'd really lost my confidence when Brian died. We had been such a unit as most couples are. 
I'd really lost my confidence and I was scared I wouldn't be able to find my way back to just myself or to us as a family or raise a third baby now. And I said, okay, I need to plan a trip. I need to plan a trip that's big enough and extravagant enough that it gives me something to look forward to in the future and that it gives me the confidence to know that I can still do this and I can still raise my kids the same way that Brian and I chose to raise them. And we can still make beautiful memories together and they can still lead this life of travel and adventure and excitement just as we'd always wanted. And so, you know, soon enough, it became this two month trip across Europe and it took almost a year to plan. But last summer, the three kids and I set off on this two month trip through Europe. We went through eight countries of Europe and just cried. We missed Brian and mourned (laughs) and, you know, wish that he were there and visited really significant places that meant a lot to us as a family and remembered him. But we also celebrated and we celebrated birthdays and Addie taking her first steps in Switzerland and visited places of mourning. And, you know, we came home and it was just like, can you believe we did that? We as a family, (laughs) as a unit went and accomplished this thing that so many people were like, what are you doing? You can't take three kids for that long. They're so young. You know, you can't do that. You guys are grieving your mourning, like just wait a year. And we said, no, or I said, no, you know that's not how we want to do it. This is how we want to do it. And I know it doesn't make sense to a lot of people, but this is how it's going to work for us. And to this day, you know, it's been a year now and the kids are still like, do you remember that time in Malta? And I'm just like, that's so amazing. Like when I saw that, I was like, I mean, I know parents who like their kids are 10 and it's like, no, it's too soon. I am not internationally with them. I'm like, that's the bravest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) Brave or maybe a little crazy, but you know, it is what it is. And if anything, losing my partner really just cemented how short life is and how you have to take advantage of opportunities. And, you know, maybe European travel isn't for every family, but certainly (laughs) you know, buying a $30 tent and going out in the woods for a night can be, or going on this hike, you know, just anything to get outside your house, really just have to stick together and rely on each other as a family, get out there, make new memories, push yourself outside your comfort zone. There's certainly something out there. You just have to honestly push through to do it. And I know it's hard when you're grieving, when you're in a state of depression, when you just don't feel like you have it in you, Honestly, you just have to push through and just say, I see the value in doing this. I know that once I'm out there, I'm going to feel better. I'm going to be so thankful I did it. It's just taking those first steps to make it happen. And with this book, it really is relevant for families who have lost someone other than a parent. Yeah. And was that by design? Did you want it to? I mean, I think grief is universal. Honestly, I feel, I think that feeling of sadness and of loss I don't want to say there's different levels, but I think everyone experiences a little bit differently, but the feeling of loss is universal. And yeah, the book was really written, you know, for kids. Like I said, there was nothing out there for kids who are having to go to a funeral or having to experience the loss, but it's not just of a parent. Kids who have lost grandparents are experiencing the same thing. Kids who have lost a sibling are experiencing these same things. So yeah, it was really written just with kids in mind who are having to hear these words, regardless of who the one that they lost was. And sometimes it's not readily apparent how much a child is dealing with grief. So are there any signs that parents should look for if there has been a big loss, the the signs that the kids are really struggling with the grief or the loss? 
I think just the feeling of, or the realization, if your kid's acting different, it's sometimes hard to tell if you're in your own state of grief, you know, you're not necessarily aware of all that's going on around you, but you know, my kids, they withdrew a little bit or they would get really clingy. They started sleeping in my bed. They'd come in in the middle of the night because they were afraid that I was going to be gone then, you know? So I think just looking for signs that they're acting a little bit differently and not being afraid to ask them and confront them and recognize again that just because you're trying to hide these emotions from them or these words from them or keep things at bay, the reality is that they're seeing it and they're experiencing it and you get to be in control of how you manage that. And I think it just needs to be very direct and very, let's talk about this and it's okay. And we're going to go through this together, especially with grieving children. I think just, like I said, recognizing that they know what's going on. They might not fully understand these terms, but they're hearing them. And if we're not explaining them to them, then they're formulating their own ideas of what it is. And that can be a lot scarier than just saying, this is what happened and getting to be in control of that information. And so, yeah, I I hope just that this is really an honest tool for parents to open up discussions in a safe way with their kids and to see that it's okay to use terms like death and dying and forever because the kids are hearing them and that maybe this gives them a way to ask questions and admit that they're sad and that they're scared and they're confused because kids are trying as much as we're trying to protect our kids. Often kids are trying to protect us too. And they don't want us to be sad either by them bringing up these conversations. So I'm just really hopeful that it's a tool for families to come together and have open, honest conversations about what's going on around them. This is really, it was beautifully done. Just what a story. I mean, that's all I can say. And the insight to work on this with your children, I think you've created something that's, that's going to touch so many different families. And so I thank you for coming on and sharing this with us. No, that's so kind. Thank you. And thank you for the platform to be able to do it. That was Ashley Buggy, author of the books, A Hooey Ho, Until We Meet Again, and the memoir, Always Coming Back Home. To learn more about Ashley, her books, and her documentary, or to follow her on social media, visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the links. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one. Happy one.